we have a guest this morning um, from a church called Westgate Chapel down in Edmonds. And Westgate Chapel um, has had a corporate prayer meeting for the last 36 years or 38 years. And it's been a beautiful time of God's working in that church. They have like 200, 300 people gathering on maybe even 400 on a Tuesday night. All age groups crying out together, God, would you move? And they've seen God free people from all sorts of addictions and struggles and God moving in their community in a really powerful way. And I think God wants to make our church a little bit like that church. And I think that there needs to be more kiddos that are like one, two years old, falling asleep in the bench, watching their parents pray. And people experiencing the tangible presence of God in their life and going, man, I just got more healed in the last five minutes of God's presence than in 27 counseling sessions. God wants to do that kind of thing. There's things that happen when God shows up in the room that is totally different than just when, when man tries to do his thing. And, and that is our heart here at Blessed City, that God's presence become dominant in all that we're doing. So with that, um, we have a guest speaker here, uh, Pastor Bill Coleman. And Pastor Bill, I'm so grateful that you're here. And he's going to bring the word this morning. And uh, we're excited for what God wants to do in and through us. Can we just give uh, Pastor Bill a hand as he comes and uh, brings us the word this morning? Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. It's, it's such a, a thrill First of all, I'm a walker, and I'm not real sure if I'm, I can't be caged in. That's all I got to say. <laughs> it's so good to be with you this morning. We had an opportunity, uh, Pastor Jer Jeremy and I were trying to figure maybe four or five months ago when we came up with um, Pastor Vanessa and three others and talked about prayer and attempting uh, an effort to birth a prayer movement here within your church. I'm convinced, guys, um, I've read uh, a book by Jack Hayford who says that God does nothing. Now, that gets my attention really quick. I don't know about you. But that God does nothing, but that first somebody prays. I'm going, now, wait, 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 wait. I don't know if I like that responsibility. We go into Ezekiel, and it says that God was looking for somebody to stand in the gap. The city had totally blown it. The priests, the leaders, the people, I mean, goes through this whole list. And, and God says, I'm going to destroy them, but I'm looking for somebody to stand in the gap. And the saddest scripture, I think, in all of scripture is, but he found none. And so he went ahead and destroyed the city. Whoa. I'd a lot rather believe that God's just going to do what God's going to do. But Scripture has ways of telling us that he only will respond to believing prayer. So we get a chance, that's the cool thing, is we get a chance to partner with him. Some of you don't look too excited about that, but I'm convinced it's the call of the church. Otherwise, why not just take me home? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm ready for heaven. I, and I, I could enjoy, although I'd miss my grandkids, I'm ready for heaven. And the hard part is that if I go there, then my prayer here isn't going to matter much. So I'm just kind of tagging on to Pastor Jeremy's first message this morning. Father God, what a privilege it is to be in your presence. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to hear what you want to say to us 
your people. Because, God, we want to believe and we want to obey. But we need you, God, to move in us in that supernatural Holy Spirit way so that we might see and hear what is your plan, will, and purpose for our life, for our church, for our city, for our family. We ask these things in Jesus' name. You know, Matthew 6, 9 is, is scripture that we all know really well. Matter of fact, beyond Christendom, it's known. It's known as the Lord's Prayer. But I really believe that's a misnomer. I, I don't think it's the Lord's Prayer. It's the disciples' prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Because in Matthew 6, the Lord is teaching. It's really interesting to me that the disciples don't ask Jesus to teach them anything else. I don't know about you, but I'd say, you know, Lord, that, that was really cool when you spit on the mud and put it on somebody's eyes. Teach me how to do that. But no, they understood that behind that were the times he'd go up into the mountains and pray all night. So they said to him, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, say. And so really, more than it being the Lord's prayer, this is the disciples' prayer. But this morning, we're going to talk about the Lord's prayer which I believe is found in chapter 17. I love John. The whole book is such an intimate feel. The writer having an intimate knowledge of Jesus. Matter of fact, many people believe when he refers to the disciple that loved him, he was referring to himself, that John was the disciple that leaned back on Jesus' chest when they were eating the Lord's Supper. So he had a very, and many believe he wasn't any older than 15. So he was a young teenager, and that the Lord had this amazing effect on his life. And the setting is, is the Last Supper. And Jesus begins to pray in chapter 17. And to me, it's such a cool prayer if you think about it, because at one point he says, I'm not only praying about them, meaning the disciples, but I'm praying for all those who come. So in a very intimate way, him praying for you to come into the presence and the knowledge and the purpose and the plan of Jesus Christ. He's praying for himself. We see that. He knows, we know that what he's getting ready to face is of tremendous issue for him. Getting ready to face the, the beating and the cross, death. He, he begins to pray that the Father would be glorified in the Son he prays for the disciples that the Father would keep them from evil, that they might have his joy, that, and, and that, that they would be sanctified. I mean, not about you, but that's a cool prayer. The goddess Jesus is praying that we would be set apart. That's what sanctified means, that we would be set apart to God. And then he prays for his church, his bride, and you can hear the emotion and the love in, that he has. And, and he prays that his bride, that's us, who've called upon the name of Jesus Christ and have asked him to be Lord in our life, he prays that they may be one. Matter of fact, may be made perfect in our oneness, that the Father would be in them. And the central verse in John 17 is verse 21. That they may know, that they, excuse me, that they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Man, that's a powerful statement. 
I have to act it out every time I read it. And it would be like this, Jesus saying, Father, I, I pray that you make them one as you and I are one so that when the world sees them, <laughs> the world will know that you sent me. Wow. When the world looks at our relationship, there is something so unworldly. Does that make sense? Something so unlike anything else they would experience in their life, they would see something that was so unique that they would know that these people are gathered around Jesus and he must have been sent by the Father. Wow, I don't know about you, but that's cool that the world can see us and then see Jesus as a result. You see, Jesus was praying. When he prays, make them one. I'm kind of weird because I like to look at opposites sometimes and play with words. But when he prays to make them one, he's really praying against disunity. Hear that? The disuniting of believers. Jesus saw something in the future church that unity would play a very important role. I don't understand because I think a lot of the qualities and aspects of life that God calls us to, like agreement, like unity, that it's not just for this life, it's for the life we're moving toward. There are principles in heaven. I don't understand it how, but there's principles in heaven that agreement becomes really important. One day I'll find out, but I don't know how that works yet. But Jesus saw something in the future church that unity would play a very important role that standing together would make difference in them standing at all. So this, I believe, is the Achilles heel of any local church. I've been in church all my life, guys. My grandpa was a church God preacher for 50 years. My Uncle Bob said that you could hear his voice a mile away. He was a mighty man of God and walked consistent with the Lord. And all of my life, I've been raised in churches. And unfortunately, we don't have a very good record. But we have some hope because, <laughs> let me digress just a bit. A friend of mine, I heard a guy testify in Texas, and he was complaining. He said, I was complaining to the Lord about the choir director who took a third of my church and split my church. And he says, it was like Jesus said to him, I know what you're talking about. I had that happen to me one time. <laughs> so even in heaven, there was a church split. So can you see it as an Achilles heel to when we as personalities get together? Understand the definition of division. It's not all the ugly heebie-jeebies, although it can get really ugly. It's die vision. It's two visions, not necessarily one better than the other, not necessarily, but it's two visions. But if you and I have a vision about going to McDonald's, and we're going to go in the same car, but we have two visions about how to get there, somebody's got to submit. Does that make any sense to us at all? I've got a vision. 
I'm going to heaven, and I want you to go with me, and I want us to be in the same vehicle, and I want us as bless the city to have the same, the same thing. I'm getting ahead of myself. Dean Sherman, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, a great teacher, um, great teacher on spiritual warfare, uh, worked for years, still works for years from YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And he teaches that demons are waiting around the perimeter of every local church. Doesn't that scare you? Waiting to be given a foothold in that church by our treatment of each other. Wow. Paul writes in the, to the Corinthians in the church of Galatia, Galatians 5.15. If you keep on biting... <laughs> Sounds like Paul, doesn't it? And devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Hmm. It seems that the same issue was undermining the church in Corinth. There, some of the disunity was centered around the loyalty of different factions in the church, what they thought about the popular preachers of the day. Some were saying, I follow Paul. I mean, he has the vision, you know. Jesus appeared to him in person and gave him the gospel firsthand. But at the same time, other complained, I really don't like Paul at all. Paul is a lousy communicator. I fall asleep when he preaches. The guy fell out of the... I just go for the worship when Paul is preaching, <laughs> and then I skip out of service. And as for being a leader... You can't count on his word. Why? Well, he said he was coming here from Ephesus, and he never did show up. And somebody else is saying, well, I follow Apollos. His teaching is so deep. He has such a handle on philosophy and apologetics. I just live for the time he comes to minister here. But at the same time, others complain, I don't care for Apollos. He is... He, yeah, yeah, he's deep, so deep everything he says goes right all over my head. Have heard that until Paul got a hold of him, he was preaching heresy on, on water baptism. It was terrible. How do we know he's not misleading us when he's here? Some were saying, well, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. His preaching is so powerful, and he's the only one who was with Jesus. I get goosebumps when he preaches. Have you ever seen how many people go forward for his altar calls? I mean, his first altar call was 3,000 people. But at the same time, others were complaining. He yells too much when he preaches. And I'm not sure if, if you get much content like when Apollos is here. And you know, I heard Paul had to correct him in Galatia. I mean, he, he was being duplicitous with the Jews in the church. And the super spiritual ones pull the trump card in Corinth, and they say, I'm following Christ. If left unattended, Paul says this will destroy the church. It seems so silly because it's not really based on much spiritual focus at all. I almost don't say this, but I get tickled about how the church can get so caught up in non-spiritual issues 
that they miss the focus of what they're called to do. An example is I was a freshman in college, and our choir was singing at the National Assembly. And so I had an opportunity to sit in on some of their their, um, meetings as to the discussions the pastors from all over the world were having. And what, as a young man, really threw me for years, I had to kind of get over it, is that they spent three days discussing. Now, this is a Pentecostal, old-timey, Bible-thumping church, and they were discussing whether or not the pastor should wear a white shirt or a colored shirt in the pulpit. And if it wasn't so funny, you'd cry. Because that was 1970, 71. Didn't we have some things going? I mean, wasn't there a war called Vietnam? And weren't there some issues that were going on? Uh, I think abortion was beginning to receive some steam. I mean, there were some, and, and we had to make sure that the pastor was dressed right. Because we had a narrow, and I believe unbiblical sense of holiness. Holiness is not something you wear. It's something you become as you press into the presence of God. It's not something you earn. It's something that's commuted to your life. And we get so caught up on that which doesn't matter. And Paul had to correct and had to step in. And if left unattended, these kinds of discussions will destroy the church. Now, I know I'm getting too close for comfort, but we should wear masks. No, we shouldn't wear masks. We should be vaccinated. No, we shouldn't be vaccinated. I mean, we have some really strong opinions, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with strong opinions. But when they divide, they're not of God. Whichever side is right or wrong, they're not of God. Left unattended, it will destroy the church by undermining the one thing that holds the church together, and that's God's love and grace. So Paul has to bring correction. Now, I don't know if your pastor did this on purpose because he didn't want to preach this message, but he's given me an opportunity to bring some correction. So it doesn't matter if you like me or not because I get to get in my car and drive away. So hopefully I get to speak what I think God has placed on my heart and you find out whether or not he finds a place to lodge. So Paul begins to bring correction to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.10 and he writes, I appeal to you, I am begging you. You've got to hear it's not an appeal, it's appeal of the heart. I'm begging to you, brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, So I have some authority behind what I'm begging you to do. Live in harmony with each other. Kind of reminds me of my mom driving the car and my big sister and little sister and I in the back seat. And mom saying, would you guys get along? And don't you kind of hear that's the Holy Spirit saying to Christians who come to God in many different levels of maturity. Some who have walked with God forever, but it doesn't necessarily mean they've matured. That was a good place for any man, but you missed it. And some who have just started with God and show great maturity, we come at many different levels. 
And God is looking in the back seat of the church and saying, would you just get along? I mean, don't make me turn around. Just live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind. Whoa. United in thought and purpose. Verse 3, verse uh, 13, has Christ been divided into fractions? Has, was I, Paul, crucified for you? Talking about Apollos and Cephas. And Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And here's the heart of the matter, literally the heart. Disunity in marriages, in families, in business, or in the church of Jesus Christ comes from, you got to take this, proud, unsurrendered hearts. I'm preaching to me too. Proud disunity comes from pride and unsurrendered. Wow. Nancy DeMoss, a radio host, author, and national speaker on revival, recently read this list to a large gathering of revival leaders. And if if I may, I'd like to go over that list with us this morning and pray the Holy Spirit be given unrestricted access to all of our hearts. By God's grace, I would call us to walk in humility with each other so that the work of God will be unhindered amongst us. The first one we'll find in Romans 12, 16, if you want to turn there. Now, 12, 1 through 8 is simply about different members of one body, different backgrounds, different abilities and talents, different measures of faith. I just talked about that. Different strengths, different positions in the church. And in this context, the great differences in the church, Paul reminds them to Live in harmony with one another. The Greek word for harmony literally means thinking the same thing towards one another. Harmony. Thinking the same thing. I mean, what is it that we're supposed to think about each other? It goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Consider, your, consider others better than yourselves. You know, we're, we're kind of raised in a culture and in a day when, when humility's got the bad rap and, and that we think that to be humble means we become a carpet for people to wipe their shoes. And that, that isn't what humility is all about. Humility is just going low. Humility is we are in such a win, 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 win society and I'm not trying to put down what Jeremy's saying, Jesus wins. We can't argue with that. But we learn in our dealing with our spouses that if somebody doesn't go low, we ain't going to get there from here. Can I get an amen? If somebody doesn't humble themselves and say, it's okay, I don't have to have my way. Listen to what that sounds like in the church of Jesus Christ. I want my way. 
my way is best, my way is smartest, I've thought this through, and you're all stupid if you don't agree with me. It's my way or hit the highway. To me, this sounds like a brat who needs to be spanked just between you and I. Am I getting too personal here? When this comes, when this becomes the way we think, we think the same thing, humbling ourselves to each other. We're in the place where God can use us to produce amazing harmony in his church. The believers in the church of Jesus in Corinth were not in harmony with each other because they were saying different things about each other, things that separated and produced division rather than harmony. I don't know if this is the place I want to add it, but I will anyway because the Holy Spirit kind of quickened my mind. Dean Sherman has a great series on relationships, and one of the main things you get from his series is he's always asking the question, is it loving? Whoa. My wife has just pushed the button she knows it makes me hot, and I have a retort. But the Holy Spirit says, is that remark loving? Yeah, but she wasn't. No, I'm talking to you. Was it, is it loving? Is my response to the relationships around me? I got all my ducks in a row, and man, I can lay you low because I am loaded and ready to go because I've got all the points to my favor. And the Holy Spirit says, no, no, Bill. Is it loving? See, we've got to see that that's a higher priority than me being right. Oh, I love being right. Don't you love being right? If you love it, you shouldn't have gotten married. And I'm saying that on either side, not just us men who act so stupid sometimes. Ladies, you missed a chance for amen. But it's in this kind of context that writes, he writes 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. Wow. That word translates, the word agree, is powerful, and it means to say the same thing. So we are encouraged to think the same thing, and we're encouraged to say the same thing. It literally means, the word harmony means to think. The word agree means to say the same thing. And Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, Philippians 4.2, I plead with Euroda, Euoda, it's hard to pronounce these names, and I plead with Sintich to agree with each other in the Lord. See, they were, their mouths were getting them into trouble in the church in Philippi. And each was telling their side of the dispute. You ever been in one of those kind of conversations? Telling their side to their friends, of course, in confidence. In confidence. And the friends being human were forming opinions and were taking sides. Guys, this is all biblical. This is from the Bible. I'm not using any other example. No other church is represented here but the church of Philippi in this particular example. But to me it says that all churches everywhere have issues in the same way. They're forming opinions and taking sides depending on whose mouth they heard from. And as a consequence, the body of Christ in Philippi were being divided. 
You know, we all hear the stories about churches dividing over what color of carpet to put in their sanctuary, and I see you guys solved that problem. <laughs> we actually have arguments over who makes the best spaghetti. And we got the women's group over here deciding that we need to spend that money like this. And we've got the men's prayer group over here saying, we don't need to spend no money. And we have these divisions. And we're not saying the same thing. We're not humbling ourselves before each other. And the consequence is the body of Christ that Satan knows so well is being divided. Paul pleads with them to start saying the same thing. Limit your conversations with others to those things on which you agree. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, well, I, I, I just don't know about this thing, tongues. I, you know, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. Well, read your scripture, study your scripture, find out what you believe with the aid of pastor and senior people around you, and then if you find somebody that doesn't agree, don't talk about it. Because I'm convinced in those settings, because they're not open to the moving of the Holy Spirit, they're only opening, they're only open to you agreeing with them. Can somebody hear what I'm saying? The argument or the discussion is not going to produce change. It's going to produce hardening of the heart that says, I'm not going to agree with you. You're not going to agree with me. And now I don't like you. Somehow we feel like that in order for us to like each other, we have to agree with everything. And that's not what Scripture tells us. Limit our conversation with others to those things on which we are in agreement that you can see God's grace at work in each other. Hallelujah. That you can see evidence in each other's lives that God is growing us into the image of Jesus. I remember telling a guy one time because he wanted to discuss that very issue of tongues and no tongues, and I was music directing a student Baptist union choir, and they were very much not Pentecostal. And he was determined to have the discussion with me, and I finally, and I think it was by the Holy Spirit, I said, look, Barry, you're not going to agree with me, and I'm not going to agree with you, so I'm not, maybe someday, I said to him, I'll mature enough that I'll agree with you, but for now, let's just agree to disagree. Let's love each other and not be divided about it, that you can see and encourage the signs of God's gifts in each other, that God who began a good work in you will work it to completion. Let's see about these things. Let's talk about these things concerning one another that we agree on. Let's agree with one another. It will take, I don't know if Christians like this word, but it is a gift of fruit of the Spirit. It will take some self-control. But that is why we have been given the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, that self-control might be a fruit of the Spirit being in me, of His roots being deep in my heart, of the challenging of His Spirit to call me to new ways and new avenues from which to walk. So we think the same thing. We say the same thing. And the third way to give evidence that we are truly living 
in humility, in oneness, is from Romans 15, 7, if you'd like to turn there. And Romans 15, 7 says, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. What? Accept. Isn't that an interesting word? The literal translation for accept is receive. So receive one another as a brother, as a sister, as a friend, as a fellow member in the body of Christ, a partner in the kingdom, joint heir with Jesus Christ. No conditions. My son used to say, yeah, but dad. And I say, son, there are no yeah, buts. Yeah, yeah, but dad. No, there are no yeah, buts. Well, son, you didn't. Yeah, but dad. That there's no conditions. There are no ifs. If you, then I will. I will accept you if you take that earring out. Even if you're 65 plus. I will accept you if, if you dress differently. You know, there was a whole thing back in the 70s with the Jesus People movement that the Jesus People kids came in, didn't like chairs or pews, and came and sat down on the floor in their long hair unbathed, but they were there to hear the Word of God. I remember one dear saint saying, she's taken my place at the altar. Yeah, Really? Can we really get that trite? Praise God, she's at the altar. Praise God, she's here, hearing the word of God. Praise God that God is doing something. I'll accept you if you are the same color as I am, speak the same language, have the same customs. I will accept you if you get your act together. I will accept you if you believe exactly the way I believe. I will accept you if... You meet my performance criteria, and my answer to that is a loud, exclamated, no! The kind of acceptance that God expects of us in his family is without any preconditions. Well, how do you know that, Bill? Because Paul set the target for us. Just as Christ accepted you. Hmm. We are to accept one another exactly the way Christ accepts us. Those are not my words, but the word of the Holy Spirit in Romans 15, 7. And this, we, this verse also gives us God's motivation in the command. It says it is in order to bring praise to God. That he, we are to accept each other in order to bring praise to God. But they really need to grow and change. There's the but, the yeah, but. That is God's job. And he has some plans in regard for us too. But that come after, that comes after acceptance. Harmony being one is thinking the same thing about each other. Agreeing is being one is saying the same thing about one another. And accepting is receiving one another. So the final evidence of being one as Jesus and the Father are one is found in Ephesians 5.21, if you'll turn there. 
I'm a counselor. My background is counseling. I have a master's in counseling from a Wright State University in Ohio, and I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I love Ephesians 5 because it really lays it out there. But I think what I have to remind husband and wife, or to be premarital, that the scripture is written specifically part of it to women and part of it to men. It says that women, you are to submit yourselves to your husband. Men, you are to love your wife. Okay, I can do that. No, no, wait, wait, wait. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's a little tougher, but I, I, maybe I can do that. But you are to love your wife as Christ loves the church, giving himself for them. Whoa. That means the only way I can love my wife the way Christ did is to die to what I want. Hear me, men? Women, you don't have a right to go, now remember, you're supposed to love me this way because that wasn't written to you. That's written to the husband. Now, men, you aren't allowed to say, now, wife, you're supposed to submit and respect. No, that wasn't written to you. That was written to her. It's between her and the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will deal with it. But the odd thing is, is we back up one verse. We go back up to 521. Before we even get into husband-wife relationship, it says, submit to one another. Oh, see, guys, wives, husbands don't get out of it so easy. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wow. Before Donna, my beautiful wife, who has been gone for a year back to Ohio to take care of her ailing dad, just came home, and I'm happy. Yep, I agree. That's the right shout. Before she's my wife, Catch this. She's my sister in Christ. Mm. Mm. And I'm to, to treat her with respect as another member of the body of Christ. And the word submit is related to humility. It means going low. I'm getting ahead of myself. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5 and 6 are about the harmony of oneness in the church. In marriage, in the family, in the workplace. But Ephesians 5.21 covers all of our life together. So everybody, male or female, smart or dumb, cool or uncool, black or white, young or old, rich or poor, high or low, it says to submit to one another. And that word submit means to rank order or to place under. Simply put, it means considering others more important than ourselves. In America? In 2020? Really, God, is this word for us? You can't mean. to, Because we've got a whole world out there that says, you deserve a break today. You you, this is all about you, and God's Word says, no, it's not all about you. It's about us. <laughs> you got to hear that. Hear that from the power of the Holy Spirit. It's about us and how we love on each other and how we go under 
where we submit, where we accept, where we wouldn't normally accept. It's about us and how we treat each other. It is everything. It's not some minor sidetrack of a message that God would bring to the church. It is the message. You go read 1 John, and all of it says that if you do not love your brother, then the love of God is not in you. Whoa. It's the main course. How we treat each other is so vitally important. It simply means to consider others more important than yourselves. Leaving it to God, that which you don't understand, that which you can't see, which is hard to accept, which is not what you're used to, not your culture, not your thing. It's leaving it to God, trusting God with where it will end up. Honor the gifts and others and rejoice when they are recognized and used. If your gifts are going to be recognized or used, let God do it. Don't worry that other people are lifted. You let God lift you. Then in submitting to one another, we find ourselves in, in a dispute over some perceived wrong or injustice done to us. And we take the low position, trusting God to vindicate us or even be willing to be wronged. Ooh, did you hear that? That didn't fit good on my shoulders. I don't know about you. Even willing not to be wrong, but to be wronged and leave it there. Who's to say that any of us have the right <laughs> to be vindicated? In this life, we are just unworthy servants is what Matthew tells us. Excuse me, Luke tells us. If we find ourselves in the position of leadership in the body of Christ, remember that we are there to serve. If we emulate Jesus, Jesus was the ruler who served. He served. Remember that we are there to serve, not to expect special privilege or recognition. had a, a, a unique opportunity to be with a man who was large in a denomination and had fallen to sin and, and pastored a huge church to the point that tailors would come to his office and take his measurements and make suits for him and out of love give it to him. Now, nothing's wrong with that, but he said where we went wrong is we got to the place where we expected it. Hmm. That's not a huge step, is it, for, between you and I? I mean... Thank you. That was so gracious of you to do something th like that for me. I appreciate that. To a little bit of a step goes, where's my suit? Where's the cookie? Where's the thank you? Where's the, I mean, that is what is submitting to one another. It's not insisting that our voice be heard or our opinions or ideas be used. It's keeping our temper <laughs> and our tone in check when we have been inconvenienced or crossed. Am I getting practical? I want to get down to the road to where we walk every day with each other. Is it thinking of others as better than ourselves? Philippians 2, 3. It's taking small helpings of food <laughs> in the food line when we have a buffet. Because there are people behind me that if I take all I see that I want, may not get any. Can anybody relate? You've ever been in that buffet line? 
I know one guy, it was the only meal, he was a bachelor, it was the only meal of the week he got, and he would heap that, he would pride himself in the ability to stack. It's being in a group, even if we think we won't benefit from it ourselves. Now, I have to say to you, ouch, about six times. For some reason, I've never enjoyed small groups. Part of it is I think there are expectations of a pastor or a leader in those group settings. And I'd prefer to be in a group where I could just hide. I mean, no, I don't mean not engage, but not be expected to have something to say about everything. But it's, it's being willing to be a part of a group. It's not something I even feel like I benefit. I mean, I know all of that stuff. <laughs> but we serve other members of the group in love by being a part, by engaging. It's showing respect to elders, those seniors to us chronologically older, even to those who are just older in the Lord, not just elders. It's signing up for some ministry so that a few will not get exhausted trying to do it all. Can I hear an amen? That was louder than I expected. Now, isn't that just a little bit of heaven now? Haven't I just described a body of people loving on each other, caring for each other, carrying each other's burden, being concerned about your life, being more concerned to hear what you have to say than to say what I know I want to say? The art of effective listening is not forming in your mind what you're going to say while you're not listening to what the other person is saying to you. It's being able to hear what they say, come into agreement with what they say, even be able to give verbiage back to what they say, and then your opinion might have some. I mean, when we think about that relationship between each other with the same vision, with the saying the same things, with accepting each other, with submitting, to, can't you see that that's a little bit of heaven now? It is what being one being one, Father, I pray that they be one, it's what being one looks like in the family of God. So harmony, thinking the same thing about one another. It's not uniformity. God isn't looking for that. Here he'd make us all clones. Thinking the same thing about each other, agreeing with one another, saying the same thing about one another, and accepting one another where you are, no matter how much you need to grow. You know, there's a society out there that won't accept a lot of oddballs. You know exactly what I'm saying. I'm just trying to be honest with you, who are socially inept, who don't know how to respond in a group setting, that we, the body of Christ, can really bring great freedom and joy if we'll just love on them even though they're awkward, even though they're always in your face. I've got one guy who just loves to name drop, and he's been with this pastor and that pastor, and boy, God is doing great things, and I'm trying to get ready and prepared for the next class, and he's here. And God is challenging me what's important. Huh. Well, God, don't ask me those kinds of questions. But yeah, what's important? Have you prepared enough already? Yeah, you're okay, ready to go, pay attention. There's one right here who just needs to know he's seen. How cool is that? That in the body of Christ, 
you know, if you attract a lot of oddballs, thank God for it. I mean that. If you find, why do all these people have to be around me? You know, it just seems like they're always, well, praise God, because they sense your love for them. Submitting to one another so the world will see and know the love of God is real. So, John 17, 21. Father, Father, I pray that you make them one, that they live in harmony, that they say the same thing about each other, that they accept each other just as they are, that they submit to each other just as you and I do, so that when the world sees this amazing, loving, full of harmony in our relationships, the world will know that you sent me. What a word of the gospel. Well, you know, you sound like that person that goes to that church. I mean, all of those people sound that way. That's a good thing. Yeah, come, come and join us. Well, I don't know. No, I'm sure you'd fit right in. Come on. We're all odd in our own way. Come and join us. That the world can see in Jeremy and Maya's relationship. Do we understand the power of that? That in my simple greeting, which connotes acceptance, submission, harmony, in just the hug we give each other, the world can go, hmm, look at that. That's something different. I don't see that at my job. I definitely don't see it in my family. Look at that. And they claim to be Christians there. And they will know that we are Christians. I don't think that Scripture is talking about, about our love. I think that Scripture is talking about they will know we are Christians by our love. Father God, I know that this is a... Uh, odd word for a guest speaker to bring, but I believe, God, it's what you've laid on my heart, and I don't even know how to wrap this up, so I'm going to hand the ball over to Jeremy so that he can figure out how to do that, <laughs> but God, I thank you for your word that has challenged my heart this morning. Oh, God, Help us in our walk with each other. Let there be something so full of the passion and the power of the Holy Spirit that the way I love that oddball in my face, people can see Jesus. That the way that I have patience and love the person that's constantly tried to goad and disagree and argue that they can see when I deal with them, they see a genuine, honest, loving relationship that I have with the Father and that I really love them, even though they've created pain in my life. It's okay. Heaven's soon. This world is gone soon. I can handle that, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you for the control you give us to do that. Thank you. I can watch my tongue. I can hold my temper down. I don't have to be right. 
I can be second. In Jesus' name we ask. Give you a definition of unity. You and I tie.